0: Well, good morning. Uh, Welcome again um, to Christ Community Church. My name is Matt Robbins. I'm one of the pastors. This is my wife, Joy. And we ask you to remain standing. Yeah, you can give her a round of applause. Well done. Appreciate that. Um, And our scripture reading today is from uh, John chapter 10. Verses 1
1: through 21. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out when he has brought out all his own he goes on ahead of them And his sheep follow because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice.
0: Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again,
1: Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and they know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father.
0: The Jews who had heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the
1: blind? Join me as we pray. Father God, let us hear your voice. Let us hear the voice of the shepherd. Lord, speak to your flock this morning. We come from many nations and many places around this world, Lord. Speak to us in ways that we can hear you. Lord, this morning, teach us more about who you are and who you've made us to be. Attune our ears to hear your voice. Lord, we pray against any schemes of the evil one, Lord, who comes to kill and steal and destroy. Lord, lead us in truth. And help us love those around us. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Well, we continue on in our series on the Gospel of John, signs and glory. And mostly what we're doing in the first half of that is the seven signs or the seven miracles of Jesus in John. This week's a little bit different. I'm doing a little bit out of order. We're skipping ahead to John 10 for just, uh, for just today, which is this, this passage that we just read. The I am the good shepherd and I am the gate. And I just want to walk you through kind of a piece by piece the scripture that you just heard read so hopefully that it can come alive to you and to your life. So we're going to look back at verses 1 and 2. Very truly, I tell you Pharisees. So keep in mind, this is addressed directly to this group of religious leaders, the Pharisees. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way are a thief and a robber. The one who enters the, by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. I'm going to show you a picture. Um, this is an example of a sheep pen. Uh, at the time, is this what you is this what you imagined? Uh, this is a, a low stone wall. Now, uh, I'm told that the majority of these in uh, Israel at the time were kind of rectangular in shape, but you could have some rounded. And you would have this uh, stone wall. Uh, and then what they would do is they would pile briars, thorn bushes up on top of the wall to increase the elevation. So it'd make it very, very difficult for a predator, a wolf, or, or, or even a person uh, that doesn't own the sheep to, to, to sneak into the pen. They'd get all tangled up. And so it was a deterrent. To that. And there'd be this uh, small opening there that they could have someone guard. Most of the time, they would actually have a, a gatekeeper and they would have a gate. And they would have perhaps something with some kind of wooden frame that would be covered in these briars and thorn bushes that from the inside they could move and open and close to let authorized personnel inside. Right? Now, why do you need a sheep pen? Um, And why, Why do you need that? Well, think about if you are a shepherd and your job is to care for and protect the sheep, but you know that you live in an area that's known to have predators. Could be some kind of a mountain lion, could be a wolf that likes to sneak up at night and grab one of them and run off with them. Well, you can't defend a group of sheep from all sides at once by yourself, right? And you can't necessarily be awake at all times. And so, and so the, the stone wall helps protect them from somebody sneaking up on them, from a creature or a thief. So the sheep would come to know that anyone who's coming in by the gate belongs in the sheep pen. The security guard, the gate man, He's gonna make sure of that. He's gonna check their badges on the way in and the way out, right? But if anyone or anything was to be crawling over the wall, trying to get through a gap in the thorn bushes, well, they would be suspicious of that person. They're not supposed to be there. So, this principle really, really um, came to life at a moment in my life in which I was pulling a prank, okay? So I was in high school, my brother was away at college, and he came home for like a weekend or back for the summer or something. And at night, after my parents were in bed, he announced to me that he was gonna go skinny dipping in the pool in the backyard. And I was horrified by this. Like later, I would've thought it was cool, but at that time in my life, I was sensitive about such things. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be in that water later. Oh my gosh, like, don't do that. He's like, no, 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 I'm gonna go skinny dipping. I am going to mean, if you don't know what that means, it means he's gonna go swim naked in the pool. And I thought, well, I'm going to teach him a lesson. I'm going to sneak up on him and steal his clothes. Okay. So I wanted to sneak up real good. I wanted to get caught because he was a lot bigger than me. So I, I, I dressed in all black and I put on a ski mask. And I went out a side door and I proceeded. What I was going to do So I was going to sneak around and I was going to hop over the fence. My plan was going to sneak up. I was invisible because I was wearing black, okay? And I was going to steal his clothes and run inside and lock the door. And then I was going to go back to sleep. And then my, my plan was he was going to be like having to knock and wake up my parents naked and wet, right? Like that was going to be a hilarious joke. But here's where it went wrong, okay? Where it went wrong is this. Um, I, I, I dress all in black. I put on the ski mask. And I, I, and I, and I, and I start climbing over the fence. But my dog... My dog Mikey uh, sees me. And my dog Mikey is not used to people in ski masks climbing over the fence into the yard. And and he and, and, and he starts growling. Like not barking, like growling. That's when you know it's dangerous. Like, his teeth, and I hopped over, charges me, and starts trying to like bite at me, like, like attacking me, like I'm a like I'm a thief. And that's when it occurred to me that that's exactly what I was. Huh? You know, I literally was sneaking into the yard with the intention to steal, right? And the dog was suspicious of such behavior and like came at me. I'd never seen him like that before, right? Someone who's climbing over the fence into the sheep pen is a robber. The dog knew that. The only thing that saved me was my voice. I start shouting, Mikey, no, Mikey, Mikey, no, 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 leave me alone, no, Mikey, right? And he recognized my voice and he backed down and said, like, oh, oh, my gosh, am I in trouble, right? So my behavior looked suspicious and my voice is what saved me. I think that speaks into our passage today. The sheep know that somebody who's climbing in over the wall is a robber. Back to verse two, it says, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. So just a a brief piece to explain here. Um, We live in the western part of the world, which means our shepherds uh, uh, tend to move sheep and cattle from behind. So we have like, you you often see videos of like sheep herding dogs that help them corral and there's this sense of driving sheep and driving cattle from the back. And they're motivated in part by, by fear of the stick or by fear of the sheepdog and so they move forward. But in the East, uh, where Israel is, both, both back in Bible times and also today, uh, Eastern shepherds work differently. They walk in front of the sheep, calling out. Uh, each shepherd has a unique call that they would call, and, and about every 90 seconds or so, they would repeat that unique call, and the sheep learn to follow them. Now, why do they do that? Well, they have learned to associate the presence of the shepherd with good things, the, the shepherd gives them safety, security. The shepherd uh, gives them good food. The shepherd shows them where to find the water, and so they've learned to follow that shepherd much the same way as our pets have learned to, well, some of our pets have learned to come when they're called, right? Some run down the street, and we send a kid to chase after them. But the Eastern shepherds work in this way, and so they each have their own unique call, but Jesus' description, uh, it takes it even, even a step further, which is to have a unique call, not just for each shepherd and for each flock, but for each individual sheep. He knows the sheep by name. He could, he could actually say an individual call and that one sheep was, oh, he's talking to me. I'm gonna come up, to that, come up to that shepherd. Very similar to our relationship you would have with your pet. Verse five. But they, I mean the sheep, they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Right? The sheep don't just follow anybody, they can sniff out an imposter. They run suspiciously away from a stranger. Now, we often talk about how, how dumb sheep are. They're always getting themselves into trouble, which is true. But here, Jesus is praising one particular aspects in which they are quite intelligent, discernment. They can tell the difference between the shepherd and a stranger. I think you probably would have that experience with your your dog, if you have a pet dog. Your dog knows the difference between you and someone that they have never met. Verse 6, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So the Pharisees, that's a group of uh, religious leaders that uh, seek to live a life of purity and, and obey a strict moral code and also want to make sure that everyone else is obeying that code. And, and remember that this passage, it begins directly addressing the Pharisees. Jesus says, tells the Pharisees this whole thing about the sheep and the shepherds. And then at the end of that piece, it says the shepherds don't get it. They're like, what is he talking about. So I want to pause and make sure that we get it. What is it that Jesus is talking about that the Pharisees don't understand? And to help us understand that, I want to give us two pieces of context. One piece of context is the immediate context in the Gospel of John, chapter 9, and then we're going to look to the Old Testament for the other piece. So this is chapter 10, and what happens right before it in chapter 9, which I'm going to be preaching about in two weeks. See, remember I told you it's out of order this week. Um, Is there's a miracle? uh, Jesus heals a man who's born blind. So the man, his whole life has never been able to see. Jesus does this amazing healing miracle, and the man can can like see for the first time in his life. It's this amazing, amazing moment. But then what happens to the man is he he shows the Pharisees, look at this, I can see, and they don't rejoice with him. That he can see. They don't get happy for him. They don't celebrate. They're like, yeah, you can see this is amazing. That's not how they react. They're like, wait a minute. What day were you healed? Right? And they're frustrated. Wait, Jesus healed you on the Sabbath day, the day of rest. He broke our rules. So no, joys, no rejoicing, no happiness for the guy. Just like a rule was broken. He defied us. Time for us to interrogate, right? And they bring the guy multiple times. And... Uh, and, 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 and they're like, curse Jesus. You need, to, you need to know this Jesus is a sinner. You need to curse him. He doesn't, he refuses to curse Jesus. He, he, he actually expresses faith in Jesus. This guy healed me. I was blind, but now he can see. And so what do they do? They kick him out of the synagogue. They kick him out. They're like, you know what? You're out of here. If you don't toe the line, if you keep praising, him, you're, you're gone. They shun him, kick him out from the community in this uh, you know, really severe form of punishment, they say, throw him out. Now, Jesus hears that they've thrown out this guy that Jesus had healed. And that's when he goes to the Pharisees and he confronts them with this speech about the shepherd. So this whole thing about the shepherd, the sheep pen, is directly Jesus confronting the Pharisees for how they just treated this man whom Jesus had healed. And so we see, at least in part, what's being, in the immediate context, what's happening here is the Pharisees are identified as the thieves and the robbers that are entering in over the wall of the sheep pen, and the sheep, who is this blind man in this case, who formerly blind man, He can tell the difference between how he is being treated by the Pharisees, roughly, with judgment, with condemnation, with exclusion, right? With, you're out of here, right? He can tell the difference between how they treat him and how Jesus treats him with tenderness and mercy and compassion and with healing. And so what we're learning here is that this sheep, this blind man, the, the Pharisees are frustrated. Like, why are all these people coming to Jesus? Why are they, why are they flocking to him? And he's like, well, they can recognize the difference between a true shepherd and a thief or a robber. So that's the immediate context. Of what's happening right there in the moment. Now I want to I want to zoom back and give you like a bigger picture context uh, from the Old Testament, and uh, there's. Tons of, uh, of examples in the Old Testament in which shepherding language is used. 23rd Psalm is very famous. King David was a shepherd. Uh, there's things all the way back in the, in the first five books, like all over the place. But I just want to draw your attention to one particular scripture, which I think is the most relevant context. And it's a prophecy in the book of Ezekiel. Chapter 34. And I, I just want you to note before we read it that you're going to hear the word, the phrase, the son of man, the son of man. This is the, the most common way that Jesus refers to himself. He's always referring to himself as the son of man. Well, it comes from this, this book, uh, this this prophecy of this this Messiah to come. Ezekiel uses this phrase, the son of man. So this was written about 600 years before the story uh, that we're reading about Jesus. Okay, here we go. Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds made from the sheep's milk, clothe yourselves with the wool, and you slaughter the choice animals, but you do not care for the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. Did you get that? This is a divine rebuke of the shepherds of Israel, the people whom God has entrusted with the care of his people. He's rebuking them. You have fallen down on the job. You were supposed to be in charge of helping them when they fall down, pulling them out of the pit or wrapping up their injury. You were supposed to feed them. You were supposed to care about them. <coughs> and you've totally neglected to do that. But not only that, you have forgotten that your God-given role was to serve them. And you've begun to think that they exist to serve you. You've got it all wrong And now I'm against you. Verse seven. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared only for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove from them, I will remove them from tending the flock, like they're they're fired, so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I, I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. Right? The shepherds' job is to defend the sheep from the mouths of the wolves. Now God is having to defend his people from the mouths of the shepherds. Did you catch that? They, 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 they had a job to do from the Lord and they haven't done it. They, 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 they saw it as like an opportunity for their own enrichment. So he's saying, you know what? You're fired. I'm against you. I'm removing you from your post. Uh, you can no longer be a shepherd because you're terrible at shepherding. Does it sound familiar to what's happening in our story in John? Jesus is confronting the spiritual leaders of the day who have fallen down on the job. They're not loving and blessing and caring and nurturing and rescuing and calling back the strays. They're judging and they're condemning and kicking this man out of the synagogue. Okay, let's continue on in Ezekiel verse 11. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep. And look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. And I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. In verse 16, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and strong I will destroy I will shepherd the flock with justice. Like God has decided, I, you need a job done right. You got to do it yourself. The human leaders have been selfish. The, the sheep have suffered. So I am going to show up one day and shepherd the flock myself. And then in the process of God shepherding the flock himself, he also describes sending a shepherd, a true shepherd to accomplish that. We see this in verse 23. And I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So God's going to achieve his tender, direct care of the sheep. How? By setting up this one true shepherd, whom he's calling his servant David. Okay. Now to get this, you have to understand this was written about 600 years before Jesus, but King David was alive like 1,000 years before Jesus. So, So the actual human being, King David, has lived his life and been dead for 400 years before this is written. So it's not talking about the original like King David. It's talking about someone who would come a descendant of David, someone in the line of David, a new king, a new shepherd. And just like King David was like a literal shepherd of sheep before becoming king, this is going to be a king who rules and leads like a caring shepherd. And this promise he promises that the direct care of God is going to be restored through this tender shepherd. In verse 31, you are my sheep the sheep of my pasture and I am your god declares the sovereign lord. Okay so you have this prophecy 600 years before of god getting fed up with this uh, failed leadership and god's going to step in and god's going to establish direct care. Now I think that's something we just got to just pause before we go back to the story. We have to just identify that when a leader loses their, their sense of, of what, they're, what they were insta- uh, given their, their leadership role by God to do, the people suffer. When, when a leader becomes corrupt, the people suffer. When a leader becomes selfish and self-centered and self-serving, the people suffer. When the leader's not protecting people and making sure that the justice is done in a community. When a, when a leader is um, just just... Falling down on the job, people, real people suffer real pain. And God sees that. And God cares about that. And this prophet is saying, one day God's going to step in and, uh, and, and clean up the shop and reestablish this tender, loving care. And 600 years go by. Jesus is on the scene. And this interaction with this blind man, he heals, he cares for it. They kick him out. He, he lays it down. And he says, I am that shepherd. John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's a huge claim that he's making. He's saying this, this, this thing that God told us about, It's here. I'm here. I've come. I am the shepherd. I am establishing this direct care of God. At last, at last, it's here. But how is it going to be done? He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The true, genuine, noble shepherd's not focused on his own gain, what gives his life for his sheep. Could contrast that with the Pharisees who are like the robbers. And then he compares them, the Pharisees, to a new metaphor, not so much the robbers, but now they're likened to like the hired hands, right? The ones who don't own the sheep but just get hired. Hey, could you, could you baby my, sit my sheep while I have to go to a doctor appointment, right? The hired hand. We see this in verse 12. The hired hand is not the shepherd, And does not own the sheep. So if the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. And the man runs away because he's just a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep, right? The hired hand's not gonna fight the wolf. He's gonna run away and say, these are my sheep. Okay, this reminds me of an experience that I had at a Macy's in Jacksonville. I was trying to buy some new shoes and I was working with an employee, this this, uh, other guy who's helping me and and we're working at the the shoe area and he's helping me try on shoes uh, near the exit to Macy's. And from across the store we hear, help, help, stop him, stop him, stop him. And we both look up and we see that a man has uh, been at the jewelry area with with a a lady there um, helping him and putting jewelry on display and he just grabbed all of it and was sprinting to the exit, which was really close to us. And she's calling to us, help, help, stop him, stop him. So I'm thinking, all right, we're going to tackle this guy, right? We're going we're gonna, we're gonna, we to gotta, we gotta stop this guy, right? we got to take him on. And, uh, and, and I look at the guy, and I signal to him, hey, man, I got your back. You, 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 let's do this, you know? And, he, and he's running at us, and the guy yells, you better stay out of my way. I've got a can of mace. I don't see a can of mace, but he claims to have one. He's running with all his jewelry, and and I've watched a lot of movies, and I'm thinking this is my moment, and I'm about to get down to my three-point stance, and I'm gonna do, I played high school football. I'm gonna dip, hit, rap, and drive. I got my, it all planned out. I'm like, all right, let's do this. And the guy goes, the employee. And he goes like this, and and, and I'm like, is it a stick-up? Like, what's going on? Like, I don't understand. I'm like, is it a a company policy we're not gonna confront? Like, what's, so I take my cue from the employee. I'm like, oh, okay. And we just let the guy leave the store. He runs right by us. I'm like, we could have taken him. I think about this at night. We could have taken this guy. And the guy goes, and I look at the guy, are, are we going to stop him? And he goes, they don't pay me enough to do this. <laughs> He's like, they don't pay me enough to, to take on a guy with mace. And, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's how it is, right? He doesn't own the jewelry He's not, he, he doesn't feel that he's the one being robbed. So it's not his problem. I'm not going to stick my neck on the line for this company that does not pay me enough. There's a difference in that case between the, the store owner uh, and, and the, the, the underpaid employee. And so when the wolf comes, the hired hand takes off and runs and goes, it's not my problem. They don't pay me enough. The Pharisees are like the hired hand. They don't sacrifice for their people. They're not helping the people carry their loads. They're not grieving with them or or tending to their pain. They're not engaged with their people in that way. But the shepherd is. The shepherd feels their pain and and, and intervenes and and cares for them tenderly. And when the wolf comes, the, the shepherd fights the wolf. The shepherd stands in between the wolf and the sheep. And that is who Jesus says that he is. He says, you are my sheep. And I have come for you. And the wolf has also come for you. But I will stand in between. Satan wants to make a claim on you. And bite you and devour you. But I will not let that happen. Because you are my sheep and I know your name and I will stand in between you and the wolf and I will take him on and as a way to save you I'm going to lay my life down and in doing so you will live that's who I am and that's who you are to me verse 14 I am the good shepherd I know my sheep my sheep know me And just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep, I have other sheep. They're not of this pen. He's referring to the Gentiles that he would call later. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and also to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. Jesus is later convicted by these Jews. These Pharisees put him on trial. They convict him. And Pontius Pilate lets him be convicted. And the Roman soldiers, they crucify him. But Jesus is telling us way ahead of time. It may look like that, but I'm making this choice. I know what I'm doing. I lay down my life for you. And then I will rise again. So then, at the end of this story, there's a trial. There's always a trial, it seems like. Jesus is always doing a miracle, he's saying something controversial, and then the people put him on trial over and over and over. And this is just a little debate that happens among the people. Who is this guy? He says these big things. Can he back it up? This is the trial, the little thing. Verse 19. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. And many of them said, He's demon-possessed. He's raving mad. He's crazy. Why should we listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Jesus, uh, that the stories in uh, John are always calling forth a verdict. It's like the whole book is a trial. It's not just a trial at the end on the way to the cross. The whole book is a trial in which Jesus does miracles, and he does teachings, and he, and he puts himself before people, and then it demands a choice. And I think in the same way, it demands a choice of us today. Who's Jesus to you? For some of you, you have decided that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, and you've given your life to him, and you have a relationship with him. And others of you have not made that decision yet. Maybe, maybe you think he's um, you know, a good admirable philosopher or a good moral teacher or a pretty swell guy, but not God, not divine, not son of God. Or, or maybe you're still trying to figure that out, but all of us have to, at the end, make a decision. Who is Jesus? And just for your thought, as you think about this, I just wanna read a quote that's meant a lot to me. From, a, uh, from C.S. Lewis, one of my heroes, who was a professor at both uh, Oxford and Cambridge. And, you know, he had uh, spent a lot of his life as an atheist and came to faith later, and he's reflecting on this, and, and he says this. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. People say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic uh, on the level of the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us be done with this patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher because Jesus has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus has made these very bold claims. Even saying, I am is harking back to the divine Yahweh name of God. I am that I am. And here he's saying, I am that good shepherd. These are my sheep. I have come and I will lead you on. At the end of the day, each of us has to make that choice. What choice will you make? He says to us also in this passage in verse 7, he says very truly, not just a shepherd, he says, I am the gate for the sheep. All who've come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, inside that sheep pen, when they're inside that enclosure, the sheep are safe. The wolf cannot kill them, but there's no food. So they have to go through the gate to the place where there's food and bounty and water and they can be nourished but there's no safety. And so their very lives depend on, on the shepherd moving them safely through back and forth through the gate. And that represents the life of safety and abundance. And Jesus says, I'm the gate. I am the path. I'm the way. My, act, my actual act of sacrifice for you is what's going to give you that gate that you can pass through from the world and the universe of of danger and destruction and famine into eternal life, in which God holds you in the palm of his hand and cares for you and nourishes you and gives you that abundant life that Christ describes. Will you walk through that gate? Would you pray with me? Lord God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your tender care. We thank you that you are not like all of these failed shepherds and the robbers and the wolves that would just devour us. And we just thank you for the way that you love us, the way that you care for us, the way you would lay down your life for us. I just pray for everyone in this room that, uh, that may be unsure. We just pray that, that, they would, that they would know you, that you would make yourself real and available to them. And I just want to, just as we keep our eyes closed and as we pray, I just want to give that opportunity because there, I, I, there may be someone in this room that, that feels like they, they've always been on the fence about Jesus, but maybe today's the day they want to claim him and say, yeah, I want to be your sheep and I want you to be my shepherd. And so I just want, as we keep closing our eyes, I just want to lead us through a prayer. And if that's you today, you can just pray something along these lines with me uh, as I lead us. Lord God, I thank you that you hear me. Lord, we've heard this word that you that you that you will be the good shepherd and that you lay down your lives for us. And right now I acknowledge that I have done wrong. I have sinned. I've done evil things. And because of that, I need I need forgiveness and I need rescue from the consequences of that, from from the wolf. And Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that you laid on your life for me and pay that price for me to rescue me. I just accept that, God, and I I accept you as my shepherd. I accept you as my leader, as my path of salvation. Lord, I don't know know the way, but I'm just going to trust that you will lead me. And I ask that you lead me all the days of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand with me. If any of you maybe prayed that prayer for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time, uh, let me know. I'll be up here uh, afterwards and would love to to talk with you. Uh, For all of us, we have something to celebrate. We have a good shepherd. Amen. And he lays down his life for us, and he cares for us, and he doesn't let us down, and he he leads us in in, in green pastures and still waters, and he he calls us by name, and there's so much to celebrate. So this next song is going to celebrate that good shepherd, and I hope that you will rejoice with me as we sing it. So hey, thanks for being here today. It's awesome to worship with you. Uh, Thank you for those of you who are joining at home. Uh, Just such a joy. Isn't it a joy to be in the house of the Lord together? Uh, Thank you for being here. Um, So, hey, if any of you would like prayer, uh, we're going to have a group of us that are right down here, and and we'll pray for you about anything. Maybe you prayed that prayer for the first time today. We'd love to talk with you about your next steps and just pray for you. Maybe you're going through something. We'll pray for you. Uh, Maybe you're just nervous about something that happens later this afternoon. We'll pray for you about that. (laughs) All right, uh, whatever. And uh, anyway, just, just great to be here. Hear, hear this blessing, this benediction. May you know that you have a good shepherd and that he loves you and that he knows every, every pain that you've endured, every threat that you face, and he stands in between you and the wolf. May you know his voice. May you come when he calls And may you follow him all the days of your life, now and forever. His name is Jesus. Amen.